Hello and welcome to the Allplane podcast, here with the people that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before I introduce today's guest, let me remind you that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, on the Allplane website. That's allplane.tv. A L L P L A N E dot TV. Today we continue with a series about different ways that software can make for more efficient and sustainable flying. A series produced in partnership with CETA for Aircraft. Our guest is Francois Chazelle, a long-time aviation industry professional. After a few years selling large VIP jets around the world, Francois joined a French startup called Safety Line, where he worked as commercial director. Safety Line, which was subsequently acquired by CETA in July 2021, has developed a whole package of software solutions called OptiFlight, which helps pilots and airlines fly as efficiently as possible during key stages of the flight. For example, OptiClimb, one of the products, focuses on the takeoff phase of the flight, while OptiCruise does so for the cruise stage. OptiDirect helps pilots get the best shortcuts and the still under development OptiDescent will do the same for descent stage. But how does all this work? What sort of data is fed into these systems? And perhaps a key question, how does it all translate into dollars and carbon emissions saved? Tune in for a glimpse of what smart algorithms can do for the planet and for the airline's bottom line. So without further ado, let me welcome Francois to the podcast. Hello, Francois. Bonjour. How are you? Bonjour, Michael. Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming today on the podcast. You are right now the product sales senior manager at CETA for aircraft. But before that, you were the chief commercial officer of a company that CETA acquired in July 2021 that was called Safety Line. And you are active in a very, very interesting area that I hope we will be able to speak about in depth today, which is basically technology to optimize the flight of aircraft and make them more sustainable and help airlines burn less fuel. So first of all, like all the guests that come here on the podcast, I, I will ask you to introduce yourself because I think you have a very, very interesting career in, in the field of aviation technology. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up at CETA recently? Yeah, thanks a lot for the uh, introduction, Miquel. Uh, I started uh, uh, as an aerospace uh, engineer. Uh, my, my career started in Moscow for Bureau Veritas, where I, I worked for uh, five years um, and stayed 10 years with Bureau Veritas, so mostly selling uh, services to airlines. Uh, and then I moved on to Airbus, where I, I was still in sales, uh, selling aircraft first in Eastern Europe, and then eventually uh, ended up heading the, the sales uh, team for Airbus corporate jets. And uh, at some point, I decided to uh, move on and uh, do something else. Uh, a friend of mine, had started a safety line uh, that, that I knew for 30 years uh, and needed a, a sales director. And uh, so I really uh, uh, jumped in and uh, went into this uh, startup adventure. And, uh, you know, the acquisition by, uh, by CETA in July is a, a mark of uh, a success of uh, this venture. And we're very proud to uh, uh, now be part of CETA for aircraft and be able to leverage uh, their international network to uh, sell our uh, fuel saving solutions to the whole world. It was a startup. How long were you there and how, how did it start? You started in, in France and from the very beginning working on software and technology products to optimize flights. So 
how, what's the story? Can you tell us like very briefly about the, this venture? Because it's really, really interesting story. Well, actually, the, the founder of Safety Line, which uh, was founded uh, 10 years ago, we just uh, marked the 10th anniversary, uh, Pierre Junio, he was uh, an aircraft accident investigator um, for the French authorities. Uh, so he had a you know, good knowledge of the flight data that he used to uh, analyze uh, these accidents and incidents. And he also had experience for two years as a commercial pilot with Vietnam Airlines. So uh, as a pilot, he saw that, you know, there could be better ways to fly, more optimal ways to fly. And uh, he thought of putting those two together and using the flight data, not just for safety purposes, uh, but uh, to improve uh, flight efficiency. So um, initially, the first products that uh, he came up with were, were more safety focused with a safety management system that we're still selling today. And uh, one of our uh, largest customers uh, is uh, Airbus Helicopters, also uh, a Group ADP, the Paris Airports Group for uh, Paris and Arnie Airport. So uh, some big customers, a lot of smaller ones as well. And um, it's only in 2013 that we moved to the efficiency side with uh, OptiFlight, really first with um, research projects, because uh, the idea was to see how we could uh, use big data and machine learning to uh, better optimize the climb phase, which is the most complex phase of the flight, but also the one where you can achieve the most savings. And uh, there was a, a lot of research initially with our data scientists uh, for several years before we finally got uh, a customer on board, uh, Transavia Airlines. 2014, they did some first trials. 2016, they committed to 10% of their flights uh, using uh, OptiClimb solution. So it was still experimental, but they were already a paid customer. And it's only in 2018 that we also convinced Transavia Netherlands, who uh, shares the same procedures with Transavia France, uh, to get on board as well. And at that point, we were able then to extend to 100% of the fleet of uh, both customers. So really our first uh, you know, uh, full customer for uh, OptiClimb uh, Opti came in 2018 after uh, many years of research and trials. Uh, since then, uh, we've accumulated a, a lot of customers. We now have 22 airlines on board in just uh, that short time. And despite COVID, we, we did sign up uh, some new customers uh, during the COVID crisis because fuel and cost savings stay a focus uh, in these times. Uh, actually, airlines are feeling pressure uh, to uh, demonstrate that they're really uh, fuel and, and emissions conscious and uh, we're there to help them uh, do that. I can see you are at the intersection of several macro trends. So you are big data company, machine learning, and sustainability. So <laughs> those are like three, three big, big, uh, big topics, big themes of, of our time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the specificity of, uh, of you know, having a, f a fully aviation-dedicated uh, activity. Uh, all our customer-facing staff are, are aerospace engineers like myself and, and Pierre, our founder. Uh, some of them are pilots like Pierre and a few other uh, in, in the team. So we're really focused and we understand uh, you know, the aviation community's needs. Uh, and so uh, any, uh, anyone who's speaking to customers is not with an IT background, but with an aviation background. And then we get the IT and data science teams involved uh, in the back end. Yeah, actually, I was amazed in a recent Airbus Summit that took place uh, just a few days ago that um, they, they mentioned uh, some figures about how much extra efficiency you could squeeze out of, of uh, flight operations. I think the numbers they mentioned were something in the order between 5 and 10%, something like that. So that in the big order of things, that, that's quite a, quite a big number if you multiply by all the planes that are operating out there. So yeah, absolutely. We would agree with those figures of 5 to 10% potential. And uh, with uh, OptiClimb, we can uh, contribute to a significant part of, uh, of that, as well as with the other uh, OptiFlight solutions uh, addressing the other flight phases. 
Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about the offering? How does it work? I mean, is this a piece of software? Is this a, a cloud-based solution? How does this work in practice? So if I'm an airline and I wish to optimize my operations, what's the way to go? What does it mean in practical terms? So again, it's uh, really about using the, the historical flight data to build uh, uh, machine learning performance models for each individual tail, which will allow us to predict the fuel burn for uh, each tail for each flight, uh, looking at uh, many different scenarios. And uh, so that, that the first job will be to you know, share that uh, one year of data with us uh, uh, for, each, uh, for each aircraft and we'll build those models. And then we'll need to receive the flight plans for each flight so that, uh, so that in combination with uh, a 4D weather forecast, we can really simulate different scenarios before the flight, predict the fuel burn, and uh, then recommend the best scenario to the pilot saying, okay, if you follow these speeds uh, at these altitudes, this, these are the savings that you can achieve. So uh, it's really about uh, using predictive models so that we can uh, uh, help uh, make it happen in the cockpit. So basically you use the past data to build a sort of profile for each, is it for each aircraft and, and for each route that that aircraft is flying? or you have some flexibility here in, in terms of uh, the itinerary? No, the, the performance doesn't depend on the route. So, so it's really a, a performance model for each tail that will take into account you know, uh, the whole uh, network uh, that, uh, that it will be flying over a year since we take one year of data to build these machine learning performance models. And is there much variation, for example, with uh, different pilots? So you have this on an aircraft by aircraft basis, but can the same aircraft, if flown by different pilots, have a, a, a very different performance in terms of uh, fuel consumption or, or flight patterns? Yeah, so I mean, uh, if you look at the, you know, the way you drive your car, for instance, uh, if you drive more aggressively, you'll consume more fuel. The great thing about the uh, climb phase is that it's fully automated, meaning that the pilot will enter the climb speeds into the flight management computer uh, before the flight, and then it will automatically be flown. So, um, so it's really not pilot dependent in this case. Uh, it's about entering the right speeds uh, before flight preparation, and we will... Uh, uh, you know, enter a, a really customized speeds for each flight with different speeds uh, and different speed changes at different altitudes uh, than what would normally happen with the financial computer. And then you mix this past data with real, well, I don't know if you, we can call it real time, but present time data of the weather forecast for a specific flight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can actually say future because it's, yeah. it's a forecast. Well, true. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, it's a 4D forecast, meaning that we have a weather forecast at a given point in the trajectory at a given time. So, so yes, mm -hmm. it, it, it is the future of, you know, what the weather will be at that point at that time. Uh, and uh, for climb, for instance, we'll look at wind and temperature forecast for every 1,000 feet, which is really much more uh, inputs than you, than you would be able to uh, enter into the flight management computer otherwise. Mm -hmm. And what are the sources? I guess, obviously, the flight data from the airline. What about the weather forecast? You have partners that provide these very, very detailed forecasts? Yeah, so weather is really a specialty. Um, we work with a company called Made Safe in Toulouse. They're a spin-off of uh, Meteo France. And so because they're a spin-off of Meteo France, they have access to uh, national uh, weather forecasts uh, from, from all the national weather providers. Uh, and so uh, the deal that we have with them is that they are the ones... Uh, who provide the best weather for a particular region. You know, they are the specialists, so we count on them to provide us the best weather source for a, a given region where we're optimizing a flight. 
for, this is global, so you can get this is global, forecasts yes. for any yeah. region on the world. It can be exactly. France, Indonesia, Brazil, whatever. Absolutely, yeah. They, they, they provide global weather forecasts, and, and we're a big user because for each uh, trajectory that we optimize, we'll probably run tens of thousands of scenarios. So uh, you can imagine the number of weather points uh, that we are requesting from them on a continuous basis. Then when you have combined the sources of data, run it through your algorithms, your models. What does the airline get and how does it get an actionable set of uh, recommendations and how are these recommendations then translated into specific actions at the, the operational level, at the aircraft level? Yeah, so uh, yeah, there's three, two things. The first one is how to deliver the recommendations to the pilots. And then uh, the second thing is how do they uh, use these recommendations? So the, the, the first one is uh, that we really wanted uh, our solution to be universal. Uh, so we will adapt to whatever the airlines are using to communicate the, the briefing package to the pilots. Some airlines are still working with paper briefing package. So in, in those cases, we'll send uh, the uh, OptiFlight recommendations in a PDF to dispatch so that it can be printed. Uh, with each uh, briefing package. A lot of them are using uh, electronic uh, flight bags with uh, either electronic flight folders or weather applications or navigation applications. And we can integrate with uh, each of these types of uh, EFB apps uh, really to make sure that we, uh, we are the ones adapting to what the airlines are using and we're not forcing an additional app or an, an additional uh, uh, integration to them. We will adapt to what they have. So that's, that's for delivery. Uh, the pilots will receive the uh, OptiClimb recommendations in their briefing package or in their EFB application. And then, very simply, uh, it will be three uh, speeds to be entered into the flight management computer. Uh, they will do this during flight preparation, and then uh, the, the profile will be automatically flown. Um, and the great thing is that we bring the aircraft to the same point in distance at the same time, so we're still respecting the flight plan, but just having a better trade-off between vertical and horizontal speeds uh, that has a more uh, efficient uh, profile. So uh, uh, because we are sticking to the flight plan, um, pilots are able to apply uh, our speeds uh, in average 75% of the time, which makes it really a systematic opportunity. So it's both universal because it works at any airline uh, and uh, systematic because uh, uh, pilots can use it 75% of the time. Pardon my ignorance because I'm, I'm not a pilot. So some of these small details of, of, of the flight operations uh, escape me a little bit. But you mentioned that you stick to the flight plan. But what's the degree of flexibility that the system allows in an environment that is controlled by air traffic control? There might be other, other constraints as well that I'm, I'm not aware of. But what is the degree of flexibility? And that's maybe a more, more of a general question. What's the degree of flexibility that each aircraft has to adjust its, its movements in this, in this context? I mean, what other factors can influence these, uh, these movements of the aircraft? Yeah, so air traffic control will be a, a big constraint for uh, our crew solutions. Uh, if you want to uh, take a shortcut that we recommend with OptiDirect, uh, you will need to request to ATC. If you want to change flight levels as recommended by OptiLevel, you also need to make a request to ATC, but you make informed requests that have better chances of, uh, of being accepted. Whereas for CLIMB, uh, again, because we're complying with the flight plan, um, there's no uh, requirement to request anything from ATC. However, uh, in some cases, you know, uh, whether you're doing OptiClimb or not, ATC will sometimes request to uh, impose a, a particular speed, or they might uh, ask for a level off, uh, or also the other case where you might not be able to apply a our speeds is if there's turbulence and then the pilot would need to uh, adapt the speeds to uh, safety speeds. 
Um, so uh, those are really the three cases where maybe the pilots will not be able to apply optic time, and that's why we have a, a not 100%, but you know, an average of uh, at least 75%. But still, uh, it's really unique in that uh, uh, the application rates are, are extremely high compared to other best practices uh, for a flight phase that is really saving the most. Basically, all the action, as far as the software and the technology are concerned, is before the flight. Once you're in the flight, you are not supplying any new data. So um, because uh, we use, uh, you know, mostly winds and temperatures in the weather forecast that, uh, that we need, uh, the, the, the two things that you want to look at in terms of performance are winds and temperatures. Contrary to weather events, you know, like icing, turbulence, etc., winds and temperatures are uh, highly uh, accurately forecasted at least for the next 12 hours. Uh, which means that even if there's no connectivity, uh, you know, using these forecasts, we, we have something quite accurate uh, for uh, these medium haul flights. For the very long flights, of course, there may be a benefit in uh, having updated weather. And the good news is that uh, when, uh, you know, when airlines have connectivity on board, uh, we are able to, to piggyback on that connectivity and update our recommendations. Uh, so uh, most airlines, you know, will, will use the non-connected version and that's fine. Uh, but for very long flights and particularly for uh, flight level changes where it would be interesting to have an update on the uh, weight of the aircraft and uh, the actual position uh, to make uh, more informed recommendations, uh, there will be a benefit in uh, using the existing connectivity. What about post-flight? Do you provide some sort of analysis or review of the performance? Yeah, so because we are proposing new best practices that were not uh, existing previously, um, we've had to develop our own tools to measure the savings for the airlines. So after the flight, we'll analyze the, the flight data, uh, the QAR data, and uh, basically check whether the pilots were able to follow our recommendations or not, um, whether it's for OptiClimb, OptiDirect, or OptiLevel. And every time they were able to follow our recommendations, we'll give the airline uh, uh, the, the, the amount of savings uh, that uh, is achieved for each flight with these uh, uh, initiatives. When you say you give the airline the amount of savings, you mean you provide a report quantifying this? Exactly. We will provide a monthly report that will show both the application rates and the savings. And we also give them access to a web interface, which allows them to see the, the savings for each flight. And I don't know if you have the numbers now at hand, but what, what could be the average saving tons of fuel saved and how this translates into money and, and, and carbon emissions? That it's, it's an increasingly important element to quantify as well. Yeah, so as an example, uh, just with OptiClimb, uh, airlines can save around uh, 81 tons of fuel per aircraft per year, uh, which translates to uh, around 255 tons of uh, CO2 emissions avoided. That would be yeah. what, what type of aircraft? Uh, let's say a, a, a mid-sized aircraft like Airbus yeah. A320 or Boeing 737, something like that. So the good news is that this is actually a, a, an average conservative figure. Um, taking into account very simple assumptions is that when the aircraft is bigger, it consumes more fuel, but it also does less flights. So it kind of averages itself out. Okay. And of course, it's a conservative figure. Uh, when we uh, uh, start working with an airline, we'll, of course, give them the actual savings. You know, uh, we have an example, for instance, with Aerologic of uh, uh, an air uh, aircraft cargo operator who uh, operates very heavy aircraft, so they will save more than those 81 tons uh, per, per year. Uh, but as a conservative figure, basically, we're assuming that uh, a narrow body can save around 75 kilograms per climb and will do an average of four climbs per day. So it's a potential of uh, 300 kilograms saved each day. 
And likewise, a wide body maybe would uh, save 150 kilograms per day and do two flights per day. So, you know, again, it's a rough figure, but uh, yeah. it's uh, something you can use as a first approach before you actually measure for each airline uh, what are the savings there. Each airline operates, you know, at, at different weights, different temperatures, different uh, uh, route lengths, etc. So we'll, of course, fine-tune those figures as we go. And that translates in, in money and, and carbon terms? How yeah, does so it translate? So again, yeah, that, that rule of thumb is, is great because uh, in terms of dollar savings, uh, airlines can save around $1 million per year for every 20 aircraft. So say you have 100 aircraft in your fleet, that will be $5 million saved each year. Um, and in terms of uh, uh, emissions avoided, CO2 emissions avoided, uh, we're looking at 255 tons, again, the rough figure, uh, 255 tons per aircraft per year. When it comes to applying these technologies, what sort of barriers or what sort of challenges are there? Because it seems maybe even too good to be true, right? So you, you have all this, all this data and, and you put it to good use. But I'm sure, I mean, this is a highly regulated environment. There are lots of things to take into account. What is preventing a more widespread adoption of these type of systems? So, um, you know, f first of all, uh, as I said uh, initially, uh, we, we've been uh, adding on a lot of customers since our, our first uh, full customer uh, in 2018. Um, but yes, there are sometimes some barriers, uh, particularly for some larger legacy airlines. Uh, sharing the data uh, sometimes can be an issue. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, usually agreements with uh, the unions that uh, uh, prevent airlines from sharing the data for anything else than safety purposes. And, you know, these, these have been existing for a long time. And so in those cases, the airlines need to make a case to the unions that uh, this is a useful uh, application for the data. Uh, and uh, and also that uh, you know the uh, the data will not be used for other purposes such as monitoring how each pilot flies or or anything like that. So some guarantees need to be given to the unions that uh, uh, there is no uh, you know other use of the data than than for safety and efficiency. That okay. takes time, but it's achievable. Even with the largest airlines, we've been able to onboard uh, some airlines who uh, who had these uh, uh, such types of agreements in place and with uh, negotiations. Uh, with the unions, they were able to uh, free the data. So there is no, uh, let's say, singling out uh, specific pilots for a better use of fuel or something like that? So uh, the way uh, it works, we don't need to know which pilot is, is flying which aircraft. Uh, but some airlines have asked us in order to, uh, to uh, give some uh, assurances to the pilots to report the savings uh, on a monthly basis, but without uh, showing time and date in the, in the web application that uh, management is using so that they can't directly associate a given flight to a pilot. Um, of course, it will depend on you know, the region in which you operate and the, and the, 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 the practices that, uh, that exist in each region. But uh, in Europe, for instance, uh, typically uh, you know, we find ways for the airlines to be able to uh, reassure the, the pilots that uh, this is not being used against them. And in terms of hardware, do you need any specific hardware or is everything, it's, it's software that can be just accessed through any interface, really? Yeah, so it's all uh, software. It's a, it's a cloud-based solution running on, our, our, on private servers uh, based in France. Uh, and uh, there is uh, no hardware required. No, uh, we don't charge any setup fees or uh, integration fees. Uh, really, uh, we want to keep it subscription-based so that uh, the airlines can re, uh, you know, have some strong ROIs uh, looking at uh, uh, what are the savings versus what are the fees. Basically, you crunch these numbers on your own computers, on, on your own systems. 
and then uh, you input so you take the input from the airlines mix it with your own like your secret sauce and then you you deliver the output but everything happens at your on your side of things yeah so we we don't own the servers we we use uh, third party uh, providers uh, mm -hmm. for for the for the servers but uh, yes it's uh, it's our controlled servers uh, our computations uh, uh, that are uh, that are running on our, on these servers, and uh, and uh, it's a very uh, you know very heavy calculations. It's not something that could be done on an iPad or a, or a, a PC inside the cockpit. You really need this uh, this computing power. Uh, but uh, we, we we put enough power into the computations for the result to come out quickly. So despite the fact that we're looking at tens of thousands of scenarios, uh, the airlines will receive the recommended speeds within minutes. We've been talking. Um often during a conversation about OptiClimb, OptiCruise, those are basically the two main products you, you have uh, now in the market. OptiClimb, obviously, for the, for the climbing phase of the, of the flight. OptiCruise covers other, other parts of the, of the flight, uh, things like speed as well, the itinerary. W what else can you manage through OptiCruise? Yeah. So OptiCruise uh, actually includes uh, three solutions. Uh, the first one is OptiDirect, which is our shortcut solution. Uh, basically, pilots are already used to requesting shortcuts to a ATC, but they don't really have tools in the cockpit to tell them which uh, shortcuts have chances of uh, being granted or how much they could save with today's winds and temperatures using that shortcut. Um, and so what we do is we look at historical tracks flown, and we only recommend shortcuts to the pilots that we know have been flown before. So this really increases the chances that uh, ATC might uh, be willing to grant them. And uh, we also tell the pilots how much fuel and time they can save on today's flight based on uh, today's winds and temperatures on these uh, shortcuts. Uh, so that really allows pilots to uh, uh, more systematically request shortcuts, knowing they have a better chance of being granted. And, uh, and in fact, when we measure the savings, we see that they are indeed able to, uh, to take a good number of shortcuts that we are recommending, uh, which more than... Uh, uh, covers the, the cost of the solution. Uh, then we have Opti Level, which is about flight level changes. You know, flight level uh, flight level changes are only uh, indicated at waypoints in the flight plan, uh, whereas you could change flight levels in between waypoints. And there's, there's also a number of constraints that can be cleared when you request uh, to ATC. Uh, and so uh, the idea is that when the aircraft gets lighter, it can go higher. When it's higher, it usually consumes less fuel, except if the winds are unfavorable. And so that's where, uh, you know, when a pilot uh, sees that his aircraft is light enough to go up, we will tell him whether it's worth it or not, depending on what are the winds at the flight level he's going to. So you have these, these two products. Any other, any other products or, or projects that you are working on at the moment? Yeah, so uh, for cruise, we also have OptiSpeed, which was uh, requested by the chief pilot of Transavia France. Uh, basically, you know, airlines often build in some extra time into the schedule just to make, make sure that uh, uh, they take into account, uh, you know, things that can happen, longer taxis, etc. And sometimes they find that uh, when they align to the runway, they, they see that they have extra time. And sometimes that's not very useful to, be, to arrive in advance at an airport because uh, you have a slot with your handler, with your gate, and uh, they may not be ready to welcome you. Um, so it could actually generate uh, additional costs. And uh, the idea was to see if uh, whether we could use that extra time to slow down a little bit and save some fuel. Uh, the problem is that depending on the winds, if you slow down too much, there's a possibility that uh, at some point you're standing still and uh, you know, your, your trip fuel will be increased because you're, you're not going fast enough. 
so so it's really uh, about uh, helping the pilots uh, anticipate on what will be the impact on uh, fuel and time of using a lower Mach number to uh, save fuel. And then there's a point where uh, you know they can slow down to a certain speed, but uh, slowing down further will still uh, spend more time, but will not save more fuel. It can be used the other way as well. If uh, pilots need to make up for time, you know, they would usually accelerate and then maybe uh, find that uh, they actually went too fast and uh, that's not uh, beneficial either. So we can tell them exactly which Mach number will save how many minutes uh, that, that they need to uh, recoup. So that's, uh, that's OptiSpeed. On the um, research phase, we also have uh, OptiDescent, uh, which is uh, now being worked on uh, with our data science team and, uh, and being uh, transferred to our, our operations team uh, for um, uh, exposure to our uh, innovation partner airlines who are working on this solution. We have uh, three innovation partner airlines involved in, uh, in OptiDescent. And the idea here is very different. Uh, it's not just about optimizing the, the speeds, but it's more about anticipating what will be the actual uh, descent path. Because uh, very surprisingly, you know, descent is, is uh, often very constrained and, and uh, it's really ATC who will uh, impose a particular descent uh, upon you. And it may not be the descent that was in the flight plan uh, or in the charts. Uh, so the idea is really to help pilots using historical tracks again anticipate on what are the likely descent paths that he will be uh, asked to do to perform uh, if he's coming from a certain direction at a certain time uh, to a certain uh, destination and so that he can be ready uh, for the possible uh, alternative descents that may be imposed upon him. 22 airlines are already uh, 22 airlines already using these uh, systems do you commercialize them as um, CETA for aircraft or the uh, safety line brand is still active? How can people find more about that, basically? Yeah, so uh, of course, since we were acquired in, uh, in July, we're still in, in transition. But uh, uh, the, the branding is really OptiFlight, you know, it's around the product. And so that will continue to, uh, to, to stay. We will continue naming the, the products with uh, this Opti uh, uh, branding, which is a uh, uh, registered and, and now uh, property of CETA. Uh, and uh, yeah, going forward, uh, really this, this is uh, joining the CETA uh, for aircraft digital day of operations product range. Uh, so we are, you know, with the OptiFlight uh, solutions becoming one of the uh, digital day of operations uh, solutions of CETA. And where would you send people that would like to learn more about it? Any specific websites, digital channels, social media channels where they can get more detailed information and, and updates about all the new products that you guys are launching? Yep. So the Historical Safety Line uh, website is still active uh, during the transition phase, but you can also go to the CETA uh, for Aircraft website and you'll already have information about the uh, OptiFlight solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for all this uh, roundup about this very exciting technology. You know, we hear so much about new propulsion technologies, about uh, whether electric, hydrogen, that of course, that, that's very important, but um, sustainable aviation fuel as well. But, but there, there's still so much extra optimization that can be squeezed from existing technologies that, yeah, I guess we're going to see more and more as sustainability becomes uh, more and more important now it's practically on, on top of the agenda for for every airline out there so yeah it's it's interesting to to see 
how big data in this case uh, has these these very practical applications. You're right. Uh, I mean, like you said, uh, we don't need to wait for these new uh, technologies, uh, uh, SAF and uh, and uh, electric, etc., to to come. There are opportunities today to save a lot of fuel uh, thanks to uh, machine learning and big data. But but also uh, in the future, you know, you know for now the. Uh, the SAF fuels are, are quite expensive, so you will still want to save on those, and so our, our technology will still be applicable for, uh, for, for those. Yeah, of course, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Francois. It's been great having you on the show today. Wishing you all the best with all these new products you have on the, on the line. Take care. All right, thanks for the opportunity, Mikel. You take care. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon. Yeah.